politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, friends, patriots and fellow taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at our Central Command headquarters right here in Maryland. Um, Boy, am I happy to be with you. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house, back from the dead, almost the dead. Uh, That's what kidney stones feel like. You know, today the ACLU is celebrating International Men's Day, and they're talking about uh, so-called transgenders giving birth. Well, I guess men could give birth um, to kidney stones. They say it does feel like the most acute stages of labor. So in that sense, I am certainly happy to have given birth today. Um, it's like literally going from a dead man walking or not even walking because of the narcotics and everything, uh, to suddenly just being a typical mid thirties, healthy young male. Um, and I'm, I truly thank God for that. Thank you for your prayers and your comments. Um, I didn't realize how many people, uh, suffer from this, how many people have gotten this. I'm the first in my family to have gotten a kidney stone and oh my gosh, I didn't realize how bad it was. Here I was Wednesday getting ready for Thanksgiving, almost packing out. And there was a a side of me that said, you know what, maybe I will do a show because I canceled Wednesday. I wanted to give the DC production team off. They wanted to leave early. But there was so much going on with the courts just hijacking America. Uh, A lot of you probably forgot about it. Heck, I forgot about what it was. It seems like it was an eternity ago uh, last Wednesday, the last time we were together. and suddenly I just get this insane pain. I'm like, do I have to go to the bathroom or something? What's going on here? And within five, seven minutes, I was thinking, do I need to go to the ER? I mean, what is this? I had no idea what it was. But anyway, man, was that painful. Um, I was just screaming my head off on the way to the emergency room. Thank God for uh, those IV narcotics that just take it away within 30 seconds. Uh, the problem was, as many of you know, that you have to find the right balance to keep the pain in check. And what happened was they just kept me on high dosages of morphine, Percocet, eventually Tramadol, which was less. And it just made me nuts. I couldn't even get out of bed. I was sick. I was constipated for five days and it made me throw up in the worst way so i've just really been out of it um you guys are probably ahead of the news in most cases way ahead of me so i'm still catching up on things lots to talk about lots going on but uh really really just excited to get behind this beacon of the first amendment it's it's kind of hard to be silenced for a full week no written content no audio no video um, not appearing on any shows. Uh, you know, I, I wish I could say it was good to take that rest that we, you know, a full week off, but man, was it hell. But you know what? Um, I just want to mention before we move on that I I left you guys Wednesday with a Thanksgiving manifesto just um about giving thanks to God in a time of a troubling time for a republic with everything going wrong. Really, if we took stock of every way that God has blessed America, um, there's more blessings than challenges. And really, if we just harness those blessings, we could persevere. 
uh, whether it's just the energy supply we have, the food supply, things like that. And uh, I was thinking, well, I guess God made me uh, put those words to heart and tested me personally. Well, we'll give you six days of hell. Do you still uh, turn to me? And, and what's amazing is I really see the hand of God even through just the terrible suffering I had the last six days. I was supposed to have the procedure done today to, to get rid of the kidney stone. And right before I passed it. And I was thinking throughout the time, you know, this is the first time I've ever had general anesthesia I've ever gone under. And it's not a major procedure, um, but it's still, you know, it's never great to go under. There's always a risk. And I was thinking, isn't that amazing? I'm already in my 30s and I've never had to go under. I've never had a broken bone or anything. So, again, you know, looking at the full picture, the last six days have been hell. But, you know, I got to be pretty thankful for the health I've been given by God. And um, again, thanks for all your prayers and well wishes. One of the things I did learn, obviously, we've spent a tremendous amount of time here talking about the drug crisis. So this was my first foray into narcotics, opioids. So, you know, ran the gambit, uh, obviously morphine, um, different types of oxy, pills with with Percocet. And all I could say is it just reaffirms my belief that's backed by the data that most of the people ODing on this stuff are not simple pain patients that do do not have other mental and, and just emotional health problems associated with it. Not people that are, you know, out there on the streets, in addition to maybe having physical problems, but also taking heroin and illicit drugs, you know, people like you and me that are healthy would never get addicted and just have either temporary or chronic um, acute pain problem. Yeah, yes, you become dependent on them, but you would never take it for a high. It makes no sense. And now I realize, I mean, that stuff messed me up beyond belief. Man, I can't imagine how anyone could function with it. Um, it's just, it's just ruined every part of my body. I, you see even now, now I have a bloodshot eye. I don't know if it's from that or if it's from the straining or whatever. Um, sorry about that, but I look, you know, I always have a face for radio and you guys still tune in. So, uh, you know, tune in at your own risk, but still looking pretty horrible, feeling pretty horrible from those effects of the pain medication. And by the way, if you ever do get a kidney stone, it seems like in the end, this Toradol, which is not even an opioid, actually worked. Unless maybe at the earlier stages, it would have been too painful. I don't know. What happened was I went in again on Friday because I went off the meds. It was making me crazy. Also, I thought I might have passed the stone and it came roaring back. And then even when I took 15 milligrams of morphine, it still didn't help. Um and I had to go back to the ER for another IV. So that, that seemed to be the only thing that helped. But to maintain it, I think the Toradol did help. Um, but evidently, there are possibly millions of people out there with intractable pain. And somehow, they, maybe they get used to it and they're able to function. I know we have a lot of listeners in our audience that are pain patients. And um, it's just simply not the government's place to regulate them and and just treat doctors like criminals if if those people need it if that is the only thing that helps for their pain that's what helps 
The data has shown, I mean, almost every single opioid death in the state of Massachusetts. We just had a study from there was fentanyl, which is not the you know prescriptions given to uh, people in hospice dying of cancer. It's all sold by the cartels, either alone or laced in heroin, packaged in, in fake pills. Um, on the illicit market, they are not pain patients dying from them. And then again, in 19 states, the biggest uh, overdose problem is now methamphetamine, which I understand. I mean, that supposedly gives someone a high. It's a psychostimulant. Why someone would want a low like heroin and morphine? Oh, my gosh. I mean, that stuff. Oh, I was on a roller coaster. I couldn't even look at light. I couldn't get out of bed. I was throwing up. Again, if any of you in the audience are chronic pain patients, I don't know how you ever get used to that stuff. But look, you know, I'm thankful that it exists. Everything is appropriate in some way, in some form for some people. And, uh, you know, I certainly hope never to take those things again. Um, but anyway, you know, it certainly uh, served the purpose in the ER and, and a little bit thereafter. So I definitely want to be thankful for that. Now, what happens when you're out for a full week? And so much goes on, so much is is missed. Um, you wonder, gosh, where do I go first? And all of the civilization issues you and I talk about on crime, illegal immigration, sanctuary cities, repeat offenders, the border, the judicial system, healthcare, we discuss a lot of healthcare. Nothing has changed. Things are still getting worse on all of those issues while everyone is gripped by this impeachment that nobody could even articulate what it is and what it isn't. Nothing has changed. And my concern headed forward is that Senate Republicans, rather than letting the fact that it is transparently a partisan sham sit for itself and then using their power of the Senate to fight the budget battle, which comes due right before Christmas, and fight to paint the Democrats as the party of open borders, sanctuary cities, and repeat offender criminals of other countries' criminals. Instead, if they just use their control of the Senate to further the impeachment narrative, albeit in a way that they're going to have majority witnesses show how the impeachment of the House was a sham, it just plays into the Democrats' hands. The Democrats know that you're not, they're not going to get a conviction out of this. But what they do know is that Trump is personally unpopular, and the more you keep impeachment in the news, the more it kind of generally drags down Trump's negatives. Now, polls do increasingly show, at least slightly, as time goes on, people aren't, are, are less inclined to support the impeachment. Again, because they can't articulate what it is, you know, as was the case in 1998. But it still does generally hurt him, and it takes our attention away from what we can accomplish. What's the other big news of the day that I saw a little bit yesterday as I was feeling, feeling a little better, um, but still thought I had to have this procedure done? Kamala Harris drops out of the Democrat Senate primary. And I see all of my colleagues, conservative, Republican-oriented uh, talkers, commentators, obsessed with their hot take on Kamala Harris. And I'm thinking, I don't care. She's one of 20 of the Democrats. They're all communists. So one communist bit the dust. What is our answer within 
our supposed party, I mean, I consider myself an independent, but they consider themselves Republican. What is their answer within the party and the movement over which they have influence to elect good candidates, the Georgia Senate race? Where is our answer to get a solid candidate? Where is it? I don't see it. We have Kelly Loeffler, um, this very wealthy GOP donor that I don't see much good coming out of her, although I, she's kind of an unknown, being appointed by Georgia Governor uh, Jack Kemp, uh, Brian Kemp. And, but, but the problem, and now all my colleagues are saying that half of the story, but what they're not saying is the conservative alternative being pushed by Donald Trump is who? Doug Collins. The chair, the Republican, uh, I was going to say chairman, but now ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. This guy was the lead House sponsor of the First Step Act, of the Jailbreak Act, letting out transnational gangbangers and drug traffickers who commit other crimes as well from prison. Who believes it's like he's one of these evangelical leftists that rather than focusing on combating the homosexual agenda and this, you know, wretched open border stuff. No, God wants us to support uh, second chances for criminals, even though the system already has built into it second and third and fourth chances. And, and we still let them out. And I'm thinking, Tweedledee, Tweedledum, what's the difference? Georgia still is and should be a red state. Why can't we get a good candidate? But everyone has their hot take on impeachment. And that's the thing, because Doug Collins has all these hot takes as the lead Republican on the impeachment panel and the Judiciary Committee. That's lovely. And it's good to know that some of these Republicans could finally find some passion in them, some sense of articulation when it comes to impeachment. Where is their articulation on any of the important policy issues on health care, on the judiciary, the role of the judiciary, on crime, on immigration, on free markets? On traditional values, I just don't see it. The budget, I mean, literally, you know what you're going to have? As this impeachment imbroglio looks like it's tearing the country apart, ironically, both parties are going to get together and overwhelmingly pass an omnibus bill, increasing spending on everything except for border security and dealing with everything except for the neo-Confederate crisis of sanctuary cities, disobeying federalism, disobeying the supremacy clause and harboring um, criminal aliens. And we're not addressing that crisis in the budget bill. Things are awfully bipartisan on the issues that actually matter. But whoever is a hot take on impeachment, that guy is elevated by our side. Because again, we're a movement that is focused solely on talking points, not policy outcomes. And that's that's why you guys tune in here. That's why you guys get your fix here. And I know is, um, you know, I was getting uh, scared I'd be uh, dependent on pain medication, which thank God I'm not. Uh, you guys were feeling your withdrawal symptoms from this show because nobody's talking about this stuff. But again, to move to the main discussion here, on jailbreak, the the ultimate conservative hero of Trump, of conservatives, to, uh, to nominate to the Senate, um, now that Kemp has nominated someone else, Loeffler, Kelly Loeffler, so they want him to challenge her in a primary, uh, Doug Collins is the lead champion of the Soros agenda on crime. So the question for today's show is, when will the liberal elites, and when I say liberal elites, I mean 
both parties finally get mugged by the reality of crime. I guess a lot of them have bodyguards, so it doesn't affect them. So one news story I missed of the many while I was out was this story from London, which I'm shocked barely lasted an hour in the news cycle when it happened. It happened over the Thanksgiving weekend. But this is still extremely, extremely important um, to go over. This case of um, Khan, our, our lovely uh, Islamic jihadist terrorist who was released from prison early, eight years into a 16-year sentence, for plotting to blow up the London Stock Exchange in a Mumbai-style attack. It was like a Mumbai multiple, multifaceted attack um, in 2010. And basically this guy Khan, um, Usman Khan, a known jihadist who was um, part of these jihadist groups in London. You can't make this stuff up. And look, I'm certainly not making fun out of victims, but I'm sorry, I'm not going to withhold from commenting on this. He went and he sh- he he stabbed two people to death, injured three others at a prison reform conference. He was invited as a prison reform, a.k.a. prison jailbreak success case. To speak, I don't know if he was speaking or whatever to attend it, and he came and just started stabbing the people that worked their careers to get him out of jail. And, you know, the thought crossed my mind as I was watching this for my sickbed. One of the few stories I I just had the um, capacity to to view. And I was thinking of Irving Kristol's old adage that a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged by reality. Well, when it comes to crime, it's a matter of literally being mugged or um, or worse, God forbid. That when when you have all these liberal philosophies in academia about oh we incarcerate too many people we need to rehabilitate and uh, like i've always said none of us are against in a very scalpel like narrow focus finding a small amount of people that could possibly maybe don't need to serve as long while at the same time having a balanced approach and recognizing that for every one person you might think could serve a little less, there's 50 more people that aren't serving enough time, are universally violent, are incorrigible, um, insufferable. They need to be taken off the streets, and they're frankly not taken off the streets. And that needs to be part of reform as well, and that needs to be the bigger component of reform. And also we need to recognize that the pendulum has already swung the other way, and anyone who possibly might have been serving too long, that has long been rectified. So I don't disagree with them in theory, it's just, it's a myth, it doesn't exist. But in the real world, where we're now seeing the ubiquitous subway violence in Seattle and Minneapolis and San Francisco and New York, just to name a few where we now have data, significant data with, um, you know, subway attacks up 11 percent in uh, in New York, according to NYPD, just this year. Um, San Francisco obviously has been going up already for quite some time, really for about um, five years uh, according to San Francisco Chronicle, homicide, rape and assault and robbery have doubled in the Bay Area rapid transportation system 
234 incidents in 2015 that rose to 481 last year um, after many years of stability, many years going down. We have taken a 20 to 25 year trend of downward crime and we've reversed that in this country. So I looked at, you know, Great Britain and I figured, um, look, you know, certainly you might think these are a bunch of leftists in, in Great Britain that are doing this. And thank God we live on the other side of the pond. Boris Johnson, the temporary prime minister, I mean, hopefully he'll, he'll wind up winning. He was like, this is ridiculous. I mean, the guy was, this guy was like, this was like a really hardcore terror attack. He was only sentenced to 16 years, should have been life. And he got out under this uh, program of rehabilitation. And, and basically what it is, is the programs are of, by, and for these leftist um, universities. So this is Cambridge University's Learning Together program. And it's the same thing here. Uh, I know Princeton University, among others, are the ones that service a lot of the curricula in um, the jails. So basically, it's communist crap. It, it teaches the criminals that police are horrible. Um, everyone's racist. The, the justice system failed them. It's not their fault. It's everyone else's fault. So you're not even, I mean, at best, it's a two for one. They get out early in return for attending um, courses that militarize them even more. So this guy literally went and uh, he came in with a knife, uh, shouted Allah Akbar, stabbed two people to death right near you know London Bridge, injured three others, and, and the family and everyone is just shocked. Now, I want to mention to you, first, before I just go through the, the jailbreak, the prison release aspect of this, obviously, you're going to notice there's an Islamic terrorism aspect. And this guy has long palled around with, um, who's that guy, Chaudhry, that, that, that pastor, not pastor, uh, imam, that Sean Hannity used to have on to spar with, that's a terrorist in London. Uh, this guy was just really bad news. And I mean, you you have this all over the place now in um, in England. And there's really two paths of Europe. There's Eastern Europe, which is like, we're not having any part of this. We are preserving our civilization, our sovereignty, our security. And then you have Western Europe that said, hey, we don't have any civilization to preserve. So let's just bring in the most violent, volatile uh, civilization. And that's Great Britain. I just want in general, there was a um, clip that was circulating online. I saw it. Michelle Malkin tweeted it out. Um, and this was Channel 4 News in the UK, September 20th, 2018. Um, it's 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 an old clip, but it just I felt it was very appropriate for this story in Great Britain. It was host reporter Kathy Newman um, asking uh, Poland Law and Justice Party MP Dominic uh, Tarzinski, um, how many Muslim, you know, Muslim refugees they're going to bring in? How many refugees has Poland taken? Zero. And you're proud of that? If you are asking me, if you're if you are asking me about Muslim uh, Muslims illegal immigration, none, not even one will come to Poland. Not even one if it's illegal. We, we took over 2 million Ukrainians who are working, who are peaceful in Poland. We will not receive even one Muslim because this is what we promised. Isn't that an amazing contrast? 
a British reporter and a Polish politician. Two different worlds, two different paths. In this country, in America, we've taken the British, German, French path. So that's number one. I mean, you before we get into, you know, reforming and rehabilitating prisoners, Islamic jihadists that are shouting Allah Akbar that you're not going to rehabilitate at all. Um, but this is what you have running rampant there. And I, I didn't get to it, but there was a college, a college student, a Muslim immigrant arrested in a Florida university on terrorism charges working for ISIS. If you read the U.S. attorney's press releases at the Justice Department, every day this stuff happens. We have brought in, I mean, by my count, over 2 million on green cards since 9-11, roughly a similar amount on on student visas cycled in and out. Some of them wound up getting green cards, have stayed here indefinitely. Some of them went home. Um, That's a a heck of a lot of people. And that is not... um, that is not something that a civilization could recover from. But um, I just thought that was a fascinating clip. Uh, I, I never saw it at the time, but two different worlds. But that that's the world the UK has followed in. What I want to note is, don't think this is just, oh, Daniel, okay, yes, they let out an Islamic terrorist early. Of course, he's not going to be reformed. We're seeing this across the board. We did this in America. And unlike Boris Johnson, who's like, I'm not I'm not supporting this stuff. Boris Johnson is often called the Trump of the UK, but Trump himself was stupidly cajoled into signing this First Step Act where they let out these drug trafficker gangbangers who are not Islamic terrorists, but they're nonetheless, uh, you know, incorrigible criminals. This guy, Joel Francisco, was let go, wound up murdering someone in Providence, Rhode Island. This is one of the only shows that will talk about this huge story. We should go back to the drawing board on that bill, but of course they won't. Instead, we want to elevate the sponsor of that very bill to the Senate as the conservative hero because he had some great YouTube sound bites on impeachment. I guess along with Elise Stefanik with her 24% liberty score. But anyway, this does tie back into American jailbreak. This is from the UK Daily Mail. Cambridge University professor behind London Bridge terrorist Usman Khan's rehabilitation lobbied for release of British-born murderer in the U.S. and got him a job in her husband's restaurant. So look how this links into American jailbreak. Cambridge University professor who tried to rehabilitate London Bridge terrorist Usman Khan also lobbied for the release of a dangerous British-born murderer jailed in the U.S., for strangling his girlfriend, Mail Online can reveal. Dr. Ruth Armstrong Armstrong is a co-founder of the university's Learning Together scheme, a partly government-funded program where students and prisoners learn together. Oh, how, how lovely. And again, it's great to learn together, but then you get mugged by reality. In this case, sadly, um, got mugged, I mean, murdered by the very guy at this learning center. But often it's just the general population that has to suffer from this. And, and the statistics are, are remarkable. Again, let's show our, our chart here right on the screen um, on criminal justice. Look here. Boom. You know, 
you see uh see that crisscross as crime tumbled or as the prison population went up crime doubled as as the prison population started going back down because of jailbreak crime went up and and i guarantee you that chart will look more dramatic in the coming years and we already have evidence in many local areas for 2019 but anyway let's read on this daily mail article Khan jailed in uh, 2012 for a failed Mumbai-style terror attack, has been, been invited, had been invited to London to speak at a conference to mark the scheme's five-year anniversary before he launched his murderous attack. Now it has emerged that Dr. Armstrong was instrumental in the release of, of Dempsey Hawkins, who strangled his 14-year-old girlfriend <coughs> in the woods after she broke up with him. Hawkins was born in London but moved to the U.S. when he was six was sentenced to at least 22 years in jail and wasn't eligible for parole until 2000. Um, again, this occurred in 1978. He was then denied uh, freedom nine times until his lawyer, Issa Kohler Hosman, reached out to Dr. Armstrong over his case. The killer's supporters complained he had served nearly four decades beyond bars for a crime he committed when he was only 16, but the family of his victim, Susan Jacobson, said he had not shown remorse for the killing and was still a danger. In an unusual decision, which was reported on both sides of the Atlantic, a U.S. parole board ruled he could be released only if he was immediately deported to the U.K. Um, and basically, you know, at the time, they said they were concerned about the safety of the people in the community he's been, he was released to. And that's what the family said. And in this case, even though he was a foreign national, he's deported to Great Britain. But, you know, he was going to cause problems there. But he said he was sorry. Hawkins said, I never stopped reflecting in one sense or another. There's always things that remind me and never leaves me. My shame is absolute. It's perpetual. They all have good stories. Um, anyway, uh, he was released. But now, oh, and then Dr. Armstrong was among a team of people who campaigned for his release and even got him a job in her husband's Cambridge restaurant, Nana, Mexico. His case was thrust back into the spotlight last year. So you think, okay, he served so many years behind bars. He did the murder when he was 16. This is over with. But no, in his old age, Hawkins had ch changed his name and it was contacting women on dating site meetup.com. Then teacher Caroline Anderson, 42, said Hawkins bombarded her with creepy messages after she rejected him at a speed dating event. Uh, Miss Anderson says she now sleeps with a knife under her pillow after he got a hold of her mobile number at the dating night and sent her a string, a string of flirty WhatsApp messages. Um, and we'll link to that article in show notes. Th this is the problem with jailbreak. And, and look, you know, some of the family's victims, the victims in this case, they're like, don't use my son's name to push back against prison reform, rehabilitation. But, you know, we have a society too. And this is the problem. Society is not a petri dish where you could say, you know what, maybe there's a chance I could rehabilitate people. We have other people to worry about. That's why we literally said at all executions in American history, may God have mercy on your soul, because mercy on the individual is for God. Our job is to do justice. And when you have people like that, they need to be taken off the streets. You don't look at the, all the prison population. No, you look at the crime rates. And when we take them off the streets, crime goes down. When we now let them out, crime is going up everywhere. 
That's what we need to worry about. It's plain and simple. We, we, we can't look at them in a vacuum. And again, it's not just that individual in a vacuum. It's not just keeping that guy off the streets. It's deterring other people. If violent criminals are swiftly punished, you'll have fewer of them. America's experiment in this in the 90s and the early 2000s after the Reagan Armed Career Criminal Acts, the drug laws, stand as a testament to that. It didn't stop the drugs, but what it did do is it stopped the violent crime where violent crime went down by 70%. The murder rate went down by 65% nationwide, even more in some localities. New York City, I mean, it really went down and the murder is still relatively low, but other crimes are starting to go up. We don't want to get to that point. We don't want to lose those gains. And yet... We have even conservatives, the conservative hero of Georgia, Doug Collins, is the lead sponsor of this stupid jailbreak, and they won't admit that they were wrong. Now, I do have good news to report to you on this front. Good news to report to you. We had a comprehensive article. um, We'll flash on the screen here on Oklahoma and crime rates there and jailbreak. The reddest state in America where Republicans have won every single county since uh, 2000, at least in presidential elections. And here you have the governor and then so many state officials pushing jailbreak and release of prisoners. They let out 460 of them. A couple of them have already reoffended. Um, and crime is going up. Vagrancy is going up. Homelessness, theft, just like in San Francisco, except this is red Oklahoma. Illegal immigration's going up. Everything's going up there. Now Oklahoma City is all is a quasi-sanctuary, shockingly. And there's an article here in the Oklahoman. A friend of mine, Holly, just sent me Stitt on Governor Stitt. He's the governor there. On criminal justice petition, this is a petition where a whole bunch of politicians and legal people there are pushing for more jailbreak. Quote, that is not the right way to do criminal justice reform. And I know this article that I wrote went far and wide in Oklahoma. I've heard that the governor's office has seen it. And look, if that is the case and it had some influence, I'm glad that we had some 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 say in this, where at least he saw the other side. He might have never even been presented with the uniform crime data, the simple uniform crime data. Governor Kevin Stitt opposed an initiative uh, petition seeking criminal justice reforms because the measure would amend Oklahoma's constitution. Um, and he he explained to members of the Urban League of Greater Oklahoma City why he opposed the criminal justice petition. Um, a bipartisan group called Oklahomans for Sentencing Reform said it has seen years of legislative inaction on sentencing reform, largely because of strong opposition from Oklahoma prosecutors. And basically, they filed a petition last month uh, seeking to end the use of certain sentence enhancements for nonviolent offenses, but it's not true because often it's like a guy picked up on drug trafficking who murdered people. But if that charge was a drug charge, it completely overlooks his previous history. And uh, Governor Stitt said, um, there's a state question coming out, state question 805. It's not the right way to do criminal justice reform. Trying to put this into our state's constitution appeals back enhancements of DUIs, human trafficking, domestic violence. Um, some of the things I don't think we need to put into our constitution. So he hides behind the, uh, like, not junking up the constitution a little bit. But look, 
All I ask is for a balanced approach. How bad do things need to get in the states, in the various localities, before people realize things are going to hell in a handbasket? How bad do they need to be mugged by reality? It's going to happen. It happens every time you reduce the prison population. The end goal of criminal justice, criminal justice reform should be punishing the right guys and not punishing people we don't need to punish as harshly as possible. And you could disagree over where that line is, but the end goal should never be prison reduction. Well, that, that's stupid. I mean, if people need to be locked up, they need to be locked up. You can't have these mandates. Oh, too many people in prison. No, we have too much crime. Start deterring crime. And I'll tell you over time, you'll have fewer people in prison because few, fewer people will commit crime. But there will be a period of time that you got to be tough. Because people are going to test you. Criminals are going to test you. They're mugged by reality. I mean, that's what it is. So that's the story on crime. We have tons of other um, criminal alien stories that we've missed. Uh, a lot going on in the courts as well. I'm running out of energy here. Still drugged up and i know i'm a little bit out of sorts gotta drink my water i was never much of a water drinker um but now you know i have no choice if i don't want another kidney stone um what i find that found amazing just one one story i want to sh share with you speaking of being mucked by reality uh many of you have sent this to me and, and thank you for continuing to be vigilant and sending me a lot of these articles i might have missed uh, while I was out, um, Aurora stabbings in Colorado. Stabbing victim says suspect should have been deported. So um, an Aurora man allegedly attacked last month by an illegal immigrant wanted by the U.S. ICE says the suspect should have never been free to attack him. Now that he's already done this, he's an assassin. He's no good, said Julio Cesar Banda Estrada. Speaking through a translator, the Mexican national said he answered his front door on November 17th. A pair of men... Um, came in and immediately stabbed him in the right arm. Um, Aurora Police Department had arrested 39-year-old uh, Gonzalo Gonzalez Gomez, 37-year-old Asami Garces Ortiz, on attempted murder charges. ICE agents had put a detainer on Garces Ortiz, an illegal immigrant from Cuba, um, while he was held in um, Arifo County for the possession of drugs, criminal trespassing, and violating protecting protection order. However, because they're sanctuary laws, they let him go, and he went out to stab this guy. Um, uh, so that was the story there. And what was amazing is if you scroll down in the article, they basically show how this guy, the victim, Banda Estrada, who acknowledged to being in the country illegally, so he himself is an illegal immigrant, he admitted, he said, look, you know, ICE should have been allowed to deport the guy. Why are you going to leave a person in the U.S. that is a criminal knowing they're a criminal? This is an illegal alien who says this. It's unbelievable. An illegal alien is saying, how are you leaving a known criminal illegal alien? So this is my point. If Republicans want to combat impeachment, this is a hundred zero argument. I mean, a new poll came out. Ron DeSantis, the champion of the anti-sanctuary movement in Florida, the governor, his approval rating is through the roof in the 60% among blacks, even Democrats, Hispanics, because nobody supports sanctuary cities. 
but it is so devastating, not just to our security, but our system of federalism and, and, and the structure of our government. This is a neo-Confederate movement that needs to be squelched and needs to be dealt with in the budget bill, not just from a policy standpoint, but from a political standpoint. Why would Republicans shy away from the fight? Talk about being mugged by reality. An illegal alien was attacked by another criminal illegal. And he's like, this guy should have been de deported. Yes, exactly. Boy, when will we learn? When will we learn? But if we're, look, if we're going to be doped up on political opioids, political morphine, like I was the last six days physically cooped up in bed, well, you can't do much. And that's kind of what our movement has been. It's been like me lying in bed for six days over Thanksgiving. Um, a lot, a lot going on in the courts, a lot going on. We're going to lose this gun case, um, which shouldn't get standing in my view. But again, it's a one way street. Our cases never get standing. Illegal aliens get standing. A lot going on in the court system that demonstrates what I've long said. One way street, dead end until we fix judicial supremacism, which no one wants to fix. Um, so we'll have more on that at the end of the week. I'm just about out of steam. I'm like a little bit woozy here, um, but we should be back to regular programming tomorrow. Again, it feels so great to have a, a movement behind what I do here. Um, thanks for your notes. Keep sending me your notes at dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Um, drop a comment at YouTube. Uh, we need to juice up our YouTube numbers. I know most of you still only listen through iTunes um, on your way to work, your way back from work. Um, but watch the video as well. We're going to have some good graphics in the coming days. Send me some stories that you feel have not been touched on enough. But again, we're going to continue fighting for our sovereignty, our security, our civil society, our sy systemic government reform, true criminal re justice reform, true governmental reform, because it's the issues that matter. Knowledge is power and truth is empowering a lot more than any drug or opioid. So thanks for bearing with me. Thanks for being patient and waiting for our return. We are back, thank God, earlier than we thought. Till tomorrow, same place, same time, but I, God willing, you never know what could happen. God bless you all. This has been another episode of the Conservative Review Podcast.